in thy sight, O Lord, my strength and my redeemer. Well, today is Sexagesima Sunday, which is the second Sunday before Lent. We have pre-Lent in the old calendar, and that uh, word sexagesima comes from the Latin word for 60, because we're about 60 days before Easter at this point. Um, Last week was Septuagesima, which was about 70 days before. Next week will be Quinquagesima. Uh, about 50 days before, and then Lent, it, Lent itself in Latin is called Quadragesima, which is the Feast of the Forty. Only um, we English and some German speakers use uh, the Lent, which means spring. Everybody else just calls it the 40 days. Um, why we do that in English, I don't know. We'd have to talk to our Anglo-Saxon ancestors, I guess. Well, these three Sundays are what the prayer book calls the pre-Lenten season, and they serve as a way for us to spiritually and physically prepare for our upcoming season of fasting, repentance, and prayer. We need to prepare for these things at times. Um, You want to give up caffeine for Lent? You don't do that cold turkey. That doesn't work, right? Um, and, And especially when we have historically done those more severe fasts, Um, In the past, the church would go completely vegan in some places for Lent. You would need to uh, kind of build up to that for most folks. Well, our Sunday readings for these three weeks, especially the readings from the Gospels, are supposed to help get us into the Lenten spiritual mindset. So last week, we had the parable of the laborers in the vineyard from Matthew chapter 20, and we were reminded that many are called but few are chosen. That's a concept that we should indeed find sobering. It should be something that makes us want to repent. But we also were reminded that everyone in that parable received the same wage, whether they worked the whole day or they just worked one hour. Repentance is always an option. It's never too late to repent. Well, today's gospel, we have another familiar yet sobering parable, the parable of the sower, and that's in Luke 8, beginning at verse 4. So if you have your Bibles, turn in Luke 8 to uh, verse 4, or you may find this on page 121 in your prayer book, page 121. <coughs> Excuse me. And when a great crowd was gathering and people from town after town came to him, he said in a parable, A sower went out to sow his seed, and as he sowed, some fell along the path and was trampled underfoot, and the birds of the air devoured it. And some fell on the rock, and as it grew up, it withered away because it had no moisture. And some fell among the thorns, and the thorns grew up with it and choked it. And some fell into good soil and grew and yielded a hundredfold. And as he said these things, he called out, He who has ears to hear, let him hear. Well, you may recall that our gospel from two weeks ago was the similar parable of the wheat and tares from Matthew 13. St. Augustine and several of the other church fathers always like to discuss these two parables together for two reasons. First of all, St. Matthew tells the parables together. You'll find Matthew's version of the parable of the sower in chapter 13, as well as the parable of the vineyard. Second, I'm sorry, the wheat and the tares. But secondly, these two parables deal with the same basic issue. Some folks receive the word of God, but it bears no fruit. Not all who name the name of Christ are truly regenerate. 
Two weeks ago, we talked about how a sign of being wheat rather than a tear is the fact that like the disciples, you follow Jesus and to have him explain the parable. You want to know what he has to say. Well, verse 16 of Matthew 13, which is part of Matthew's version of today's gospel, Jesus says to the disciples, he says, Blessed are your eyes, for they see, and your ears, for they hear. For truly I say to you, many prophets and righteous people long to see what you see and did not see it, and to hear what you hear and did not hear it. Or if you prefer, as we read in today's gospel, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. Well, that's our first lesson as we prepare for Lent. We need to listen to Jesus. We need to seek him out. We need to go to him and humbly ask him to explain the gospel. So the question is, where do we find Jesus? Well, in the word and in the sacrament. In scripture, we find his teachings and everything that is necessary for salvation. In the sacrament, we commune with Christ and are joined to him and to his body, the church. <coughs> Excuse me again. <laughs> well, just like with our gospel from two weeks ago, Jesus explains the parable of the sower for us in the text itself. Now, as I was walking to church today, I uh, heard some guys talking about this from England, and they remarked that St. Gregory the Great um, just read the explanation. He said, Jesus gave us the explanation. I'm done with the homily. And he sat down. <laughs> We're not going to do that today. I'm, I'm less great than St. Gregory. So there we go. <laughs> Significantly so. Um, so Jesus says, this is Luke, um, verse 11 of Luke 8. Jesus says, now the parable is this. The seed is the word of God. The ones along the path are those who have heard then the devil comes and takes away the word from their hearts so that they may not believe and be saved. And the ones on the rock are those who, when they hear the word, receive it with joy. But these have no root. They believe for a while, and in time of testing fall away. And as for what fell among the, the thorns, they are those who hear, but as they go on their way, they are choked by the cares and riches and pleasures of life, and their fruit does not mature. As for that, in the good soil, they are those who, hearing the word, hold it fast in an honest and good heart and bear fruit with patience. So Jesus tells us that the seed is the word of God. And this goes back to last week's theme of many are called, but few are chosen. The call, the word of God, does go out to everyone. The general call to repentance and faith is universal the essential, the essence of the gospel is clear from the scripture, and we widely proclaim it. Our bishop recently sent a message out to the diocese in which he summed up the basics of the gospel as he discussed doing the work of an evangelist. Bishop Felix wrote this. <clears throat> doing the work of an evangelist involves continually proclaiming in the church and outside the church, what the Bible says about Jesus, as well as what it says about sin and its consequences. Sin leads to eternal suffering and separation from God, from God called hellfire in the Bible. The only escape from these eternal consequences of sin is repentance from sin and faith in Jesus Christ as Savior and our Lord. He died on the cross to pay the penalty for our sins so that we are forgiven, reconciled to God, given eternal life, 
and made children of God to spend eternity with him in heaven. And he then goes on to quote several scripture passages to illustrate his summary. And it's true that everything we read in scripture ultimately points us back to this gospel message. Everything we do in our liturgy also points us back to this gospel message. Sometimes we get so familiar with these things that we forget the wonder of it all. We start to kind of take it for granted. It becomes a but of course issue. Well, Lent is a good time to be reminded of the wonder. Lent is a good time to repent of becoming dull in our affection for the gospel. And if you have never really considered the gospel message, but just went through the religious motions, Lent is a really good time to wake up. Jesus gives us three examples in the parable of ways that the gospel can be missed. Three states of soil that do not bear fruit. First, we have the ones along the path. In this case, the word of God never penetrates the heart to begin with. Jesus says that the devil snatches the word away. Well, make no mistake, blindness to the gospel, blindness to God's word, is ultimately and first and foremost a spiritual problem. This is one of the reasons why the church has historically included a renunciation of the devil in all his works in our baptismal services. Satan does not want people to hear the gospel, and he will do everything he can to keep folks dead in their sins. Those lies that the enemy tells us can be false religions or it can be heresy. Or they can be those insane things that the culture buys into without questioning it. Sometimes those things are subtly deceptive. They look pretty good on the surface. Other times they are overtly evil. But when we're dead in our sins, they look good to us anyway. In all those things, the old serpent sings the same song that he sang to our first parents. Did God really say? Well, second, we have those ones who are on the rock, who believe with a shallow faith. So testing and temptation and suffering wither away any fruits of the gospel, just like the hot Texas sun withers anything I've ever planted in our garden. (laughs) If biblical faith is trusting in God based on what he has said in his word, a shallow, stony faith is like a person whose trust is still in in their flesh, especially those comforts that the flesh desires. It would be like taking a parachute because someone told you it made your flight more enjoyable rather than because the plane was going to crash. No, the gospel calls us, as we say in our baptismal vows, to renounce the lust and sinful desires of the flesh, lest they keep the word of God from taking root in our hearts. Well, third, we have that which fell among the thorns. Jesus said that these here... The word, but they are choked by the cares and riches and pleasures of life, which leads to an immature faith. Our baptismal vows call this the vain pomp and glory of the world. And that's when we allow the, the circumstances of this present life to choke out any concerns for the life to come. 
Life certainly has cares that must be addressed. We all know that. Life certainly, um, you know, money is something that we all have to deal with, and riches can be a good thing. They can be a blessing. Life certainly has pleasures, and many of those pleasures are good, like the Lord spoke over creation in Genesis 1. But we cannot make these things our top priority, even the good ones. Jesus said, Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. That's Matthew 6.33. The kingdom of God is supposed to be our top priority, and we are to let the world take care of itself, even as we go about doing our proper duties as people that are, that are rightly in the world. We're not, we're not all called to go off into the monasteries. That's, that's, not, that's not a wide call. But... We must, we, when we're in the world, we still should not be of the world. So let's sum up. To sum up the poor soil, the unfruitful soil, we cannot be led by the world, the flesh, or the devil. If we want the gospel to bear any fruit in our lives, we cannot serve the world, the flesh, and the devil if we want to also follow Christ. So what do we do if we search our hearts and find that they're hard? or stony, or thorny. Well, St. John Chrysostom tells us to plow up the bad soil. He writes, There is such a thing as the rock changing and becoming rich land, and the wayside being no longer trampled on, nor lying open to all that pass by, but that it may be a fertile field, and the thorns may be destroyed, and the seed enjoy full security. <clears throat> For had it been impossible, this sower, and remember the sower is Jesus, would not have sown. That's why our liturgy always proclaims either the summary of the law or the Ten Commandments every, every week. This is why we have a call to repentance along with a general confession and absolution in every single service. This is why we include so much scripture in both our daily offices and our Holy Communion service. The church is putting the plow to our hearts so that the stones would be turned, so that the path would be broken up, and that the thorns would be burned in whatever way the stone, the path, and the thorns manifest in our lives. Remember that lesson from last week, it's never too late to repent and turn to God. Well, what about that fourth soil, the good soil? Jesus says that they, hearing the word, hold it fast in an honest and good heart and bear fruit with patience. For the gospel to bear fruit, we must hold it fast. We must let it grow. We must be patient and humble, coming before God so that he would work the soil. I'm a terrible gardener, and that's mostly because I have no patience with it. I don't want to work my garden every day. I don't want to water it and, and, and find the right fertilization. I don't even want to wait for the right time of year. I want it right now. <laughs> I would rather just go to, to HEB and buy my vegetables, right? I would rather go and, and, and get a potted plant, uh, potted flowers that, that, that I don't have to work on. But we can't do that with the gospel. We can't do that with God's word. We must be patient as the Lord Jesus Christ works in us, molding us little by little into his image. 
through that transforming work of the Holy Spirit. If we want to keep our hearts plowed, we must go to the Lord by reading his word, by praying to him, by fasting, by fellowshipping with other Christians, by partaking of the sacraments. And you might see no fruit at first. But after a little while, there's going to be a sprout, and then a stalk, and then leaves, and then fruit, even up to a hundredfold. Lent is a really good time for this kind of patience. we got 40 days to slow down. Lent is a good time for doing some plowing in our hearts. And these Gessima Sundays of pre-Lent are our annual reminder that plowing time is coming. Jesus, the sower of the seed, is on his way. So let's be ready. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Remember the words of our Lord, how he said it is more blessed to give than to receive.